Hello, welcome to A Seat at the Table, a podcast bringing together feminism, dinner parties, female friendship and food. I'm Alex, your host, the creator of Spare Ribs Club, an intersectional feminist book and supper club which explores feminism and social justice through literature, art, music and food. Each episode, I invite our guests to take us through their perfect feminist dinner party, three feminist icons as dinner guests, three courses and three tunes being played on repeat. This week, I'm very pleased to welcome Meg Foster. Meg is a full-time life model and part-time clown. She's a fat and queer model who started on Zoom during the first lockdown and now models all over London, also running her own life drawing classes in Crouch End. She has also modelled brilliantly for our Spare Ribs life drawing events. Thank you so much, Meg, for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm very excited too. Um, so let's get started. Which three guests? are you inviting over for your dream feminist dinner party? Okay, so my three guests are Mary Magdalene, mm. Cass oh, Elliot, and Jenny Savile. Ooh, the best. Okay, so take me through um, those three guests, why you why you chose those. Okay, so we're starting with Mary. I will affectionately refer to her as Mary Mags throughout this because <laughs> it's easier than saying Magdalene um, <laughs> the whole time. But um, basically... Before I started my life drawing career, um, I was doing my master's um, and I did religion and theology um, throughout my academic career. And um, when I was doing my undergrad specifically, I was doing like feminist hermeneutics and queer hermeneutics. Mm -hmm. And I read a lot about Mary Magdalene. while I was doing that and she's always had a special place in my heart since mm. um I think what makes Mary Mag so crucial is that she really encapsulates how women have been silenced mm-hmm. and oppressed by the church she was such a crucial crucial icon at the beginning of the early church and she's mm. been basically ignored um ever since really um so since forever she's been like wrongfully dismissed um and she's been labeled a sex worker mm-hmm. which is not true even if it was true it wouldn't matter anyway because it's completely not the way of Christ to judge people anyway but Mary Magdalene was Jesus's closest companion um she was at the foot of the cross at his death and she was at the tomb when he rose again um and not only was she one of Jesus's first followers but there's evidence to support that she funded the early church completely like she had money and no one else did she was a girl boss and (laughs) without her funding the early church there would have not been any footing they wouldn't have been able to travel around spreading the gospel and in a lot of cases in the early church women were very much at the center throughout the bible you see women being at the focus of lots of stories and there's even um a case that she wrote um the fourth gospel Mm -hmm. which is the gospel of john Mm -hmm. uh, which was which is believed to have been written by an anonymous beloved disciple and jesus refers to them as the beloved disciple throughout um the gospel and in Mary Mag's own gospels which have been um hidden um 
she's referred to as the beloved disciple as well, which I think is really interesting. Um, because when um, after Jesus's death and Christianity became more organized and became more apostolic, they became less radical. Jesus was super radical for his time and was all about like radical love, equality, acceptance. But to become more organized, they kind of turned away from those radical ideas. Mm. And the idea of women being in prominent roles was seen as embarrassing. So Mary was completely pushed to the side and her, the what she had to say about Jesus's ideals were also pushed aside. And so it kind of makes sense that the immediate successors of Jesus pushed her aside, ignored her gospel and came up with this story that it was a unknown anonymous disciple that had written the fourth gospel instead of Mary. And then eventually in pretending that it was an anonymous person, it became an anonymous man because that was more acceptable than it being Mary Mags who had actually written it. Um, but I love Mary Mags um, and as someone who has studied Christianity for a very long time and theology for a very long time both of the Marys have a special place in my heart but specifically Mary Magdalene um, and I would love to have her there I would love to talk to her about radical love I would love to talk to her about acceptance I'd love to talk to her about the idea of sin because in her gospel she says that there isn't sin at all actually um, which is very controversial. So it would be very cool to have her there and talk to her about everything that she saw, everything that she believes. What an incredible way to start. I, yeah, I love that. And that's such an interesting choice that completely makes sense. Um, how about your second guest? So my second is um, Cass Elliott. Mm-hmm. And um, she was um, a singer uh, for the Mamas and Papas, which was like a very big band in the 1960s. Um, I grew up listening to the Mamas and Papas and I really loved them. Um, And as a fat girl growing up, it was really cool to see Cass Elliot. If people don't know who Cass Elliot is, she's this really big, flamboyant Jewish woman. Um, And I was always really inspired by her. And the reason why I picked her because it's because the mamas and papas have made like a really interesting comeback at the moment and like especially on social media like all of their songs are trending again and I'm seeing so many people like talking about Cass and about how amazing she was Mm -hmm. so I thought it would be interesting to have her um the thing with her as well is unfortunately she suffered from a lot of fat phobia in her time um and she was not treated very well by her bandmates even by fans they were very horrible to her about her weight and even her death was obscured by fat phobia and she really was failed by the healthcare system she died of heart failure when she was 32 and um a doctor spread a really horrible rumor that she choked on a ham ham sandwich but she actually suffered from a weak heart due to all the crash diets and um, drug abuse. And so it's really horrible that not only did she have to die like that and put herself through that, but that even in her death, they couldn't let her rest and were so horrible to her just because she was fat. Mm-hmm. And like, as someone who put myself through lots of horrible things growing up to try and lose weight, I would really love to have her there at my table 
in solidarity and just to love her and show her some kindness because you know she really was like a pioneer for like fat radical love like she was defying preconceived notions of women but not only just women but Jewish women as well mm -hmm. um and lots of fat activist groups um really fought for her after her death especially with all these horrible rumors and most notably the fat underground who wrote the fat manifesto really came out and like um fought for her and like wrote this really beautiful eulogy for her and respected her in a way that like the mainstream media failed to do and she's been an icon for them ever since and the fat underground as well were mostly started by um jewish ashkenazi women so it's really lovely to see and it's a shame that that happened and that in her death she was remembered in such an awful way but she's really inspired some amazing activism and it would be cool to bring her back and have her see that like being fat and Jewish and a woman is okay and she was wonderful and she deserves to be loved and respected and idolized and it's good to see that that's happening like I'm glad that she it's like made a comeback and I see so many girls and women like loving her online and I'm just it really like oh it makes me feel so full to see her getting like the love that she deserves yeah. I, I've seen a few of those um, videos and it's um it's a really lovely thing to see someone in death kind of be recognized and be loved in the way that they weren't during that yes absolutely life. absolutely I mean on the topic of um kind of fat positivity I guess I know your third guest um is kind of works in that in that sphere yes yeah, so um Jenny Saville um is a an English painter and even though I guess I work in the art world now I don't really have an art background um not really like I studied a bit at a level um but I always remember always remember at GCSE um, and at A-level seeing Jenny Savile's paintings and just being in absolute awe of them. And um, if you don't know, Jenny Savile is well known for um, these like giant, I think they're oil paintings mm -hmm. of um, fat women. They're like very fleshy and bold and unapologetic. And they show like women with like stretch marks and like sagging breasts and women who aren't meeting like and I say this in quotes like societal standards of what a woman should look like um and I do have a, a quote actually that I'd like to read from mm -hmm. her if you don't mind mm. um so in an interview with Roxanne um Gay um Savile talks about the backlash she received for her uh, peace strategy which is this giant triptych of a fat woman and she got loads of hate for it because obviously it shows a woman um, in a way that men don't find attractive. Um, so God forbid. Um, and so open quote, the model is a friend of mine. I just found her body so unbelievably beautiful and powerful. The triptych received a lot of negative press when I first showed it in 1994 at the Saatchi Gallery in London. You wouldn't believe the language. It was about obesity, how gross this person was. And I thought, this is my friend. I'd asked her to model because I thought she was beautiful. I had no idea I was making this charged image, but I've been very moved by the number of people who have written to me, saying that my painting was the first time they'd seen themselves on canvas. Ultimately, I think my friend would 
ultimately I think my friend found the experience empowering and now she's 53 and she loves the people like to see her in paintings close quote and so what I think is interesting is um as far as I'm aware from photos I've seen of Jenny she herself isn't a fat woman or I wouldn't describe as a fat woman she might identify um like um she might be mid-sized um but she you know didn't have this preconception of fatness and what it means to be fat or a fat woman and she just made this painting because she loved her friend and thought her friend was beautiful and after receiving backlash she realized how charged the images were and how difficult it is to exist in a fat body and because of the backlash she received she went harder and she was like no I'm gonna keep creating paintings um, of fat women and of bodies and seeing bodies in ways that we're not used to seeing them especially women's bodies and she very much continues exploring all kinds of bodies and especially women's bodies that are seen as like misbehaving like bodies that go against the standard um, bodies that don't have like fixed genders bodies that are taking up space bodies that are essentially radical and as a fat model myself, I would love to have her there and talk to her about her experiences, talk to her more about her thoughts. And it would also be a dream to sit for her. Like, I have no idea how <laughs> that would happen. All the people, sometimes when I model in like art unis and institutions, they're always like, oh, why don't you just email her? And it reminds me of that like um, TikTok sound where it's like, why don't you just call Taylor up? And I'm like, oh, how do I just get in contact with Jenny Savile? <laughs> and be like, hey, can I sit for you, please? <laughs> because to me, she's like a, this... Well, she is an incredibly famous artist, but she's so up there to me that I'm like, I, there's no way I could just contact her. What am I supposed to do? Just drop her a little email like, hey. <laughs> well, in, in this kind of dream feminist dinner party evening, would a part of it be devoted to maybe sitting there if you've got her in the room? Maybe, yes. Mm -hmm. If she wouldn't mind, if I'm like, hey, I know I brought you here to relax and have dinner, but <laughs> if you could just work for me real quick, that would be lovely. <laughs> just real quick. <laughs> Do you think that these guests would kind of get on with each other? I hope so. I think uh, I think Mary Mags is a bit of an outlier, um, being a uh, Christian icon and historical woman. Um so times have changed since Mary Mags has been walking on this earth. But if Mary Mags is uh, the radical that I believe she is, then absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, this, All of these women are about breaking boundaries and not only loving yourself, but loving other people, no matter what, no matter how they look, no matter what body they're occupying and just unabashedly being yourself and letting others be themselves um and just respecting everyone and I just think that it would be a real it would be real I just it would just be a room full of so much love mm. and solidarity and just being women who are breaking out of the mold mm -hmm. and doing things that we're told that we shouldn't do just because we are women mm -hmm. so I think it would be a lovely space interesting and perhaps a bit chaotic at times but and <laughs> <laughs> um, um, how about the uh, music that's going to be on repeat all evening so I've chosen um 
So I have chosen a Cass Elliot song. I don't know if she would love to hear her song on repeat, but I would. Um, would like and to so, perform it live? Oh, she could perform it live. And I'm sure she would love to. Yeah. Um, she was an amazing performer. Really, really amazing on stage. Um, and so when, uh, so she was in the Mamas and Papas and uh, I they didn't treat her very well. There's also a lot of like other controversies surrounding that band, which we don't, I don't think we have time to get into today. But um, I think, and then she kind of moved on and, release her own music and um on her first like solo album she had uh dream a little dream of me which is the first song I actually heard by her and it was the most popular song on her solo album and I used to listen to it on repeat um and there's no there's no other reason for me to have it on there just that it was by her and it has sentimental meaning to Mm -hmm. me really and it was her first like solo album and just a bit of a defiance, really, from her. Mm-hmm. And how about your second tune? My second would be uh, Working for the Knife by Mitski. Mm-hmm. Um, I very much listen to sad girl music. I think that's <laughs> what the genre is called. Um, so Mitski is a favourite of mine um, as a sad queer woman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all of the sad queer girlies love a bit of Mitski. Um, and I think... If there is a theme to my evening, it's very much like misbehaving women, redefining societal norms. And there's like a, you know, I work in the art world. There's some kind of art world vibe to the evening. And I interpret working for The Knife by Mitski as about how hard it is working and living under capitalism. And for me, working in a creative job, it can be really hard and it can be really scary. And if I didn't have the support system that I have, it probably wouldn't be possible at all, really. Um, And working for The Knife just really, it just has that like hardness to it of how hard it is to just keep going. But the song is so wonderful in itself. It shows that there is defiance and that there is like a reason to keep going because you can produce amazing work and amazing artwork despite it all. Mm, I love that. And how about your third song? And my third song is, um, again, Sad Girly, is <laughs> I Don't Want to Be Funny Anymore by Lucy Dacus, which is, oh, it's such a good song, Um, you know, about growing up as a fat friend uh, I really relate hard to this song um, about being the non-pretty friend being the fat friend women who don't want to be put in a box um, longing to be like found as valuable outside of what you can bring physically and like not being the butt of the joke just because you're like not seen as the pretty one you know like I I have lots of fr- like women friends who uh, have lots of guy friends and they introduce me to their guy friends and they have absolutely no interest in actually talking to me because they don't want to like they see me as they don't see me as a sexual prospect so they just have no interest in actually engaging with me and it's like whenever a man like refuses to even be nice to me um, like this song just like comes on in my head and I'm like oh Jesus Christ but what's so funny about this as well is um, I think there was a TikTok trend a while ago where uh, people kept saying that um, Lu- Lucy Dacus music was for 
Ugly Girls. And Lucy Dacus responded by releasing merch that said music for hot people. Um, <laughs> and I just think it was a real like, yeah, F you, like anyone can listen to this music and anyone can feel this way. And the whole point of this bloody song is that women like contain multitudes and can occupy all these different spaces and it shouldn't be about what you look like. That's a great soundtrack. Um and now my favorite bit of the podcast <laughs> uh onto the food. What... I don't want to let you down with the food because no, I'm not won't. I'm not uh I'm I don't like to host, uh, let me tell you. <laughs> so I don't know how well this evening will go. <laughs> Um, I'm really not a hostess and I definitely don't have the mostess. Um, so, rather, I mean, would you like someone else to kind of host it for you and you're just kind of this, you know? Yeah, like I'm a guest at my own dinner yeah, and someone else is just. You're kind of there. You've <laughs> facilitated it, but you're not really, you're not, you've paid people to host it basically. Yeah, yeah. I w- yeah, that sounds wonderful. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Um, what are so... your, what are they serving for your staff? So all of these foods are just like comfort foods, basically. Like um, the starter is baked camembert with wow. some kind of crusty bread. It's incredible, definitely. Um, this is like a a comfort meal that me and my mum used to eat. Um, my mum very much was caught up in like diet culture when I was a kid, but this was the one meal that like she would like s- – surrender herself to and like whenever we were having a bad week we would like pick a movie and we would like share a baked camembert and some like crusty bread or wedges so good (laughs) it's it's one of the best starters i think a little drizzle of honey and some garlic on top as well yeah oh so good god just cheese is just good isn't it yeah (laughs) okay so this is where we get a bit crazy um (laughs) This, I don't even know where this came from, but it feels like a staple with me and my partner. I feel like I first made it during one of the lockdowns mm-hmm. when, like, I was very much like many people. I, I wasn't one of those people that started, like, cooking laborious dinners and doing, like, amazing meals. I went the other way where I was just anything that I could shove in the oven because I had, like, no energy. And I... Do you know what chicken parm is? Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's like a, like chicken, what's the word, like escalope or something? Yeah, like a breaded, breaded. Yeah, and then you have like marinara on top Mm. and then parmesan cheese or whatever cheese and it's usually on like a, a pasta. I think it's like very like Americanized italian food because i think it's a very american dish because i've never actually had the real thing what me and my partner have is turkey dinosaur parmesan (laughs) 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 where we have turkey so i make like a i'll make like a pasta sometimes the pasta will just have plain or we'll have the tomato sauce incorporated so you make your pasta and then you put your cooked turkey dinosaurs on top almost like a pasta bake lasagna situation and then you put more sauce and then I never actually have Parmesan cheese. So I usually just use cheddar or whatever cheese we have. Mm-hmm. You grate that up and then you stick it under the grill so it gets all nice and crispy. And then you have that. And then um, our favorite vegetable of all time is tender stem broccoli. So yeah. a side of that for sure yeah. with a bit of salt, olive oil, sometimes a bit of soy sauce as well, depending on how you're cooking it. But I'm, we've started doing it in the air fryer. Game changer. 
Oh my god, so crispy, amazing! It's so good. The florets at the end of them get really crispy and kind of almost child grilled. And oh yes. Mm. Oh god, I love tender some broccoli, but it's so expensive. But yeah. it's my like, I love it so much. You should have pressed the boat out for Mama Cass, you know? Like, <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. And in this world, in this world, dream dinner, I will not be paying for it anyway. So, no, so in what kind of dream dinner would it be if I had to pay? <laughs> serving turkey dinosaurs to mary magdalene i think that's just a real clash or an intersection of historical cultures that i don't think i would ever see together but um, i think all I of it. i think everything would be a lot this whole dinner is going to be a lot for mary mags i imagine <laughs> and she's definitely getting a diet coke i want to see how that goes on tiktok that's like things that would put a victorian child into a coma oh yes yes yeah i don't know how magdalene into a coma <laughs> yeah i wonder how uh i mean you know if she saw jesus turn water into wine maybe a diet coke won't be that exciting but... <laughs> so maybe this isn't to her to be honest i know we don't know everything she's seen because all of her scriptures were hidden so she might have seen some absolutely unhinged stuff well I'm sure she did see some unhinged stuff actually and I'm like oh my god how could she even have a diet coke and she saw some absolutely unhinged biblical things going on (laughs) she'll be like this is nothing Megan what are you talking about (laughs) Um, and how about for pudding and for pudding uh my favorite treat especially when I'm sad is I don't know how to say this properly mini Tayaki, I think maybe that's how you pronounce yeah, little, it. Little fish thing. Yes, yeah. so they are um little fish-shaped pastries with mm. custard inside. So you can get mm. the big tayaki, which usually have red bean paste yeah. or Nutella. Um, mm. but the mini ones are my favourite. And I whenever I'm in Chinatown, I always get myself some. Sometimes I go into Chinatown just to get myself some. Mm. Um because I love them so much. And they just they really they're just so cute and so joyous like little tiny fish and they just make me feel good and they're quite after this is quite a heavy menu and they're quite light really because they're only little and it's quite a light fluffy pastry so you can just have a couple just to round off the evening (laughs) yeah I mean on that note how how is the evening kind of progressing how does it end I think um I don't know I imagine maybe at the end some kind of chorus happening that's what I imagine I don't drink but I would uh, I would imagine maybe Mary Mags is having some wine maybe Cass as well um Jenny having some wine and I imagine after we're all full and we're kind of getting a bit sleepy we just all start having a bit of a sing song to dream a little dream of me with Cass that's what I imagine. <laughs> Lovely. And then I feel like imagine just people just carrying you off to your beds for the night, you know. Just, <laughs> just just Maybe if I just lounge and fall asleep, yeah. Jenny can uh, paint me. Yeah. <laughs> really working them, you know. You've got yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you've got Jenny Savile painting you. <laughs> we've got singing. We've got painting. It's amazing. Good <laughs> evening. Um, I'd love to talk in the last kind of few minutes about uh, your profession because it's really rare to have someone who um, is a professional life model and is able to kind of do that full time. 
Um, what do you feel is the kind of biggest challenge um, about being a woman and, and queer in life drawing? Um, I think, I mean, it's different depending on who you talk to. I can only talk about my own experience because women who are conventionally attractive, um, unfortunately, sometimes will get men who are just seeing them as a sexual prospect. Yeah. Because... And, you know, I can advocate for this as much as possible, but you can't change how people are perceiving you or how people are feeling. But what's so important to me about life drawing is it's supposed to kind of make nudity something different. Like nudity isn't inherently sexual. And I think men are so used to seeing women nude only in a sexual context Mm. so when they see women in life drawing classes they immediately make it uncomfortable and they can make the women modeling uncomfortable I've modeled in places where students have had complaints because they've uh, talked about how they want to like have sex with the model or how they find the model so incredibly attractive and for me as someone who is you know not so conventionally attractive I don't often get that I get the more like the more fetishizy end of the stick where I get men who come up to me and they think they're doing me such a service by telling me how they really want to how they really love fat women and they want to only want to have sex with fat women and it's like did you think that by telling me this I was going to be like oh my god thank you so much for your service you are so brave thank you so much um it's very bizarre Mm. um but as a fat woman and I think because even though life drawing is not supposed to be about that I do think that throughout uh history more conventionally attractive women have been hired as life models because that's what men want to draw Mm. and so now when I'm life modeling I often am told that like I'm the first fat person that they've ever drawn or ever painted and they don't usually see like models in all different shapes and sizes and it does seem to be you know from my experience it does seem to be something that is happening to women because the life models like up until like the last few years there really has been a big shift and like lots of different people are life modeling now but from what I've seen especially within like more traditional institutions all of the life models are either like old retired white men Mm. or young like beautiful conventionally attractive women (laughs) Mm. that's such an interesting point I guess because it's so it's still kind of trapped within the constraints of kind of academic art history, which obviously is always dictated kind of conventional beauty standards. Yeah, like the art world isn't isn't immune from like systemic issues. Mm. And absolutely the art world, you know, I modelled at, um, I don't know if I should say this, but I modelled at the Royal Sketch Club um, on Thursday. Uh, very beautiful gorgeous like very prestigious lots of like amazing uh artists had uh were part of the club and 
when you go into the main bit, they have all of these paintings on the wall of all of the people, all of the amazing artists that have either been part of the club or all of the like prominent benefactors. And it was all men. There were no paintings of any women. And I said to one of the guys there, I was like, oh, it's interesting how it's only men. Um, like I'm not surprised uh, and he was like yeah well it's only been within the last year that they've been encouraging women to be part of the club and I was like what? are you serious <laughs> gosh that's crazy that is I was I was like I, I like I wasn't I knew why but I also was so shocked that he would reason. say that and also yeah. that it was like oh only recently we've been encouraging women to join and I was like <laughs> only recently <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow do you I mean do you feel like uh being a life model has kind of changed your relationship with your body as a queer woman I um I was always very confident and so you know lots of people always say oh you must be so confident now but I was before um I you know I had a very like I had to go through a very radical shift with my body because I didn't like myself for a very long time, but I just, you know, I unlearned everything that I'd learned and I really fell in love with my body. And I was very hardcore body positivity advocate for a long time. But now it's more of a, you know, I still love my body and I'm still like very, very much um, comfortable with myself, but it's more that I've just become more neutral now, where it's like, I see I'm much more neutral on nudity and I'm much more neutral about my body, mm. as in like, you know, I'm a person who exists. This is the body that's carrying me. I deserve love and respect regardless. It doesn't matter whether I love my body and I'm, you know, I don't need to force myself to be obsessed with my body it's just it's the body I have and that's okay and it does not matter and all bodies should be represented and all bodies should be loved and everything you know society should be made accessible so that all bodies are able to live up to the best life that they can that's a lovely a lovely message to end our podcast on um just very quickly I always ask my guests um one final question uh what are you doing on an everyday basis in a small way to become a better feminist for yourself or for others around you oh that's a very good question that is a very good question um I think something that I do thankfully to my work that is important to me and also is helping um, myself become a better feminist is I model a lot in schools and I do really take it upon myself to talk to the young girls um, and also like the young queer people that I'm modeling for and talking to them about how they feel mm. and talking to them about what it means to be doing life drawing and what it means to see different kinds of people life drawing and you know and I try to post content that kind of continues to uh push what I believe and continues to show that not only I deserve to be in art spaces and life modeling but lots of other women deserve to be in these spaces life modeling and I think that 
especially at the moment, misogyny is absolutely on the rise. Um, and I think it's very important to just continue to be taking up space, radically loving other people. Um, and I really think that just as a fat queer person who is getting naked in front of people and showing people that I unabashedly deserve to be here in itself is just an act of resistance and I just think if you're if you're ever thinking about life modeling and you are a minority or you're a mar or you're a marginal or you a marginalized person and you just think oh there aren't many people who look like me modeling and you've ever thought about it just do it because it really does it's such a small thing but it really does make a difference the feedback I get from like 16 year old girls that I model for like uh young queer people in schools that I model for the feedback I get and the fact that it, it really does make such a positive impact for them to see different people being represented like it really is important and if you've ever thought about doing it I really encourage you to do it because it is good for yourself but it's also good for the wider community as well thank you so much Meg um for a really amazing episode um and yeah and thank you so much for modeling for us as well it's uh it's a privilege to work with you so thank you thank you so much I'm so excited for our future events as well <laughs>